from the Kramer Basketball Headquarters in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. You are listening to the Coach's Edge podcast, powered by Coach. Here is your host, Steve Kramer. I'd like to welcome Derek Sheridan back to the Coach's Edge podcast. So nice we had to have him twice. Uh, first time on talking about practice planning, um, just a real detail-oriented, a lot of really great roots in Northwest Ohio, coaching tree there, but he's coached in uh, different states. He's a coaching mentor, um, helps runs a heck of a coaching clinic in Northwest Ohio as well. And on this specific episode, we're digging into the three, two zone defense. So after you listen to this one, go back, search his name on the coach's edge podcast. Make sure you listen to that other episode as well, because there's some great nuggets in there. So uh, coach, first and foremost, thanks for being back on the coach's edge podcast and, and why the three, two defense, why, why the topic today? I think you hit the nail on the head when we were, when we were uh, talking informally before, we started recording and uh, uh, the one thing that sticks out in my mind um, is it's simple. Kids seem to pick up uh, how to utilize a three, two zone with an odd numbered front more so than a two, three um, with a uh, even numbered front, but uh, with a lot of the five out offenses and um with a lot of uh, zone offenses incorporating ball screens now, um, I think a three-two combats that fairly well. And I, I keep going back to the simplicity. Um, I was I stopped teaching a lot of man-to-man um, at the turn of the century, and from that period of time forward, we were almost all zone one-one-three-two-three, three-two, and um, even some two one two, but the the kids, by and large, seem to pick up a three two more quickly because the slides are so much more simple. Well, I'm glad that this this is one of the things I love about the podcast is because there's coaches that are adopting the three two zone defense. They don't have the experience that you've had with it. I mean, you've been coaching the three two for a couple of decades, which is why you make a, a perfect guest for a lot of coaches that are maybe they've been running this for a couple of years, something similar with a one two two, or they're thinking about adopting it with their team. So, first of all, when you think of the three two, what are some of the main goals that you try to get out of that defense? One, it's a great laning defense. Uh, the three two or the one two two. Ours was more of a of a one, two, two, than a, than a flat three, two, but it is a great laning defense. It's um, a great defense to secure the paint. So for example, when Dick Bennett was uh, becoming, was, was making the, uh, the pack line defense popular again, cause you know, back before him, it was called the nutshell. He would mix in a three, two or a one, two, two. And uh, most people would still, run their main offense against it because it looked so much like his pack line defense. If the team he was playing was, uh, had an offense with a one guard front. But the other thing with the three, two, the kids seem to learn the rebounding 
slides more so in a three, two, or at least more quickly than they do out of a two, three, at least in my experiences. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll keep hammering this point. It is uh, much more simple than even a one, three, one for the most part, but uh, you can do a lot of things out of three, two. I know you can ex extend any zone, but when you extend out of three, two, you can have them match up. If they've got a one guard front, you can basically get out and send your kids out in the passing lane and play switching man to man and put a ton of pressure on the ball because you know, you've always got two people in the back line help. If, um, the ball is uh, dribble penetrated into the lane. You can pack the thing in against a team who might not shoot it so well and really guard the lane. And that usually, um, uh, the outcome of that's usually a very low scoring game where you're just not going to let the thing into the paint. And um, it matches up really well with uh, a one, two, two, three quarter, quarter, four court press, or even a one, two, one, one. And kids find it so much more easy to fall back into a one-two-two versus falling back from a one-two-two into man-to-man -man or, um, I mean, a one-two-two, three-quarter, quarter, full-court press into other zone defenses. I guess the second best or easiest would be a one-three-one. But um, it just seemed like kids picked that uh, rotation up or the symmetry of it more so using a three, two or a one, two, two. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that, you know, for coaches that think about playing zone defense, that's one of the things that may hinder them from playing more zone defense is saying, okay, but when we have to extend, when we have to try to create turnovers, we can't play our zone defense. But with the three, two, I mean, that, that's one of the things that come to mind. This is a zone that allows you to extend and then get back into your base easier than a lot of other defenses do. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Now, coaches are trying to visualize the 3-2. Every coach is going to have their own variations to it. As you mentioned, yours might look a little more like a 1-2-2. A two, two. Um, but, but you say, you know, it's, it's for the most part, it's a 3-2. What's the general layout? Obviously, this is we're going to get into the rotations and variations and things like that. Mm -hmm. But what's the, the base layout of your 3-2 uh, defense? We had our forwards in between the uh, the elbow and the intersection of the three-point line, if you extend it out to the 90-degree mark, the wings. So we were inside the three-point line, our backs facing the baseline. Our point, we wanted him to come out and close his stance and push the ball handler to the left. Uh, I know most man-to-man -man offenses are initiated to the right side of the floor, but you look at a high school team and darn near every one of them wants, if they have a right-handed point guard, they want to take um, the ball to the right against zone. Uh, our, our blocks were um, one step off of the uh, blocks. So it, it looks like a straight up one, two, two. And then if the offense has a stationary high post, if they start a player there, once the ball's initiated to a wing, let's say the ball goes to the right wing, then the block player on what we'd call the naked side of the floor who didn't have a player in his area would match up then with that high postman 
The other way you could do it was you could sink your point down and have him sit on the uh, point man. I like that better than I did um, sending a post up and making it more of a one, three, one look. Um, you know, you've got to have really solid athletes on the wings and your point has to be long and lanky. If you're going to play a flat one, three, one, because you've got one guy covering the baseline. And typically most teams put their quickest guy down there who in the high school level is going to be a guard. Um, so the three, two, if you have your point guard backpedal and sit on a post, now your two wings have to have more of, uh, they have to be more committed to guarding the ball when it's in their area, but at least the darn thing's not going into the high post. And you've still got two support uh what we call blocks are our two post players underneath uh, on the baseline. So it was uh, kind of a weekly thing for us when we played a lot of three, two or one, two, two, um, you know, everybody wants to take away what the uh, opposition's really good at offensively. So uh, going back to the simplicity statements, um, the kids just seem to pick up adjustments with a, a one-two-two alignment more quickly and with more confidence than they did um, with a two-three. So, you know, the 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 big thing with the one with with the one-two-two is even to this day, you know, when I was still coaching, uh, when we scouted, who covers the corner? If the ball goes to the corner, who covers that? And that's a huge aspect that when you can when you uh, combat a one-two-two zone. Ball goes to the corner, and the posts execute what's called a post slide, where the strong side post comes out and takes the the corner man. Now the weak side post has to sprint over and cover the the uh, strong side post, and the weak side forward has to sprint down and put his head under the rim, with his uh, behind of the baseline, and he needs to be in a stance. He looks like a shortstop. And he's on the balls of his feet because he is going to have to sprint. We call it uh, run like heck, RLH, when that ball's in the air, if the ball's skipped. So if the post, if the strong side post covers the corner, we would back screen um, the heck out of that weak side forward when he covered down and try to lob or mm -hmm. get a quick uh, pass into a into the rim. We wanted to get a we wanted to get a body on him before he could cover down to the point where he got to the rim. Uh, you gotcha. know, Coach Smith at uh, North Carolina kept his posts on the blocks and sent the point guard to the corner. And now the weak side forward, instead of having having to cover down that far, just gets to the midline like it would be in man to man. Hmm. And. Uh, I like that a lot, especially if you've got a lanky point guard or a lanky person you can put at the point of that one, two, two, who's quick enough to uh, get back from the corner back home uh, on a pass. But, you know, it, it's like anything else, especially it doesn't matter if it's zone or man, if the ball goes to the corner or to the wing and the offense is able to just pass the ball, whatever the heck they want it. It doesn't matter what defense you're in. You're always going to be playing catch up 
when you're in a support line role. So the, the thing I liked about zone a lot was we could get up in people. I mean, get up hard and not worry so much about getting beat off the dribble because everybody knew where the support was coming from. And we, we only played a matchup in one year. Uh, that would have been 2000 and 2012, 2013 year. We played a matchup zone, but every other year we were a ball oriented zone. And I like the ball oriented zone a lot because of, of uh, the amount of support you have behind the ball pressure. You touched on it a little bit, but dig into, yeah, every coach has a different group of players, obviously, but if you had to put personnel at different locations, if you had a kid, as you mentioned, long, lanky, where would be your choice to put them? And also, if you had a kid that, let's be honest, you, you don't have a team that has five great defenders out at a time, maybe they're helping you more on the offensive end, you're trying to hide them defensively. Uh, where are some of the spots that you found successful to put them on the defensive side of the ball? Your two, your, your, your best athletes have to be on the wings in a three, two, they have the widest and the longest in the deepest coverage areas, and they've got to be able to move and they have to be trained to cover a lot of different offensive actions. For example, if the ball goes to the short corner or even dead corner versus a one, two, two, and there's a strong side high post, that kid is going to roll down to the rim. We just, in zone terminology, we just call that a roll down. And so that the forwards are going to have to be able to bump down and get that guy and sit on his legs, sit on his thighs and bust his hips, or else you're going to be giving up layups. Um, you can take what we used to call a stiff and you can put him at the point. Now, if you put a stiff at the point, a kid who's not very fast laterally, you're not going to be able to have him cover the corner if the ball goes to the corner. But he can sit halfway in between the foul line extended and the top of the key extended and move so his tailbone very rarely ever um, goes to a closed stance. He's going to be... Uh, with him back to the baseline whenever the ball's above foul line extended. Just, he's got one thing in mind, do not let the ball go past me and don't put my teammates in a position where two defensive players have to collect on the ball. And then your bigs, your big kids can be your blocks. And, um, and the big kids don't struggle with that so much because of scouting. What I mean by that is if a great shooter – makes a move, a baseline cut all the way out to the corner, then the kids know through your scouting sessions, get the heck out there, get a left hand up in his forehead. Um, and, you know, my advice to anybody is just trap that. Just trap the heck out of it. Make them pay for throwing the ball to the baseline and just absolutely get after it and trap the heck out of it. And once they throw the ball out of bounds a couple of times, they'll stop throwing the thing to the baseline. But um, the big thing with that uh, maneuver with, with, if you don't trap that is, and this is uh, a point of controversy, and it's a great argument because no one's right, really, and no one's wrong. It's a matter of the coach's preference. We were real, one of the statistics we were really into was when we scouted a post player at the high school level, darn near every one of them shot a higher percentage turning baseline side than they did toward than they did towards the uh, towards the middle of the floor. So we wanted our post players, when the when the post player who's guarding the strong side block, when his 
when the ball's on the wing or the corner, we wanted him underneath him. And we just wanted an arm out in the passing lane. That way, if the ball did go into him, he can wall up. And the beautiful thing about zone is no matter what offensive alignment they're in, you can send the, the wing and the point guard down to dig like heck on that basketball because they're not chasing the man around. It's a ball-oriented zone. So I, I thought that the, the one two two was a was a great zone, was a great defense to combat teams who relied heavily on scoring off the blocks. You mentioned attacking the the corners, being aggressive to trap the corners. Is that something you've always found to be beneficial, regardless of the defense that you're running, uh, really or really conducive to the three two itself, or both? Oh. Uh, when we 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 in my career we were we were a lot more a one one three than we were anything else, but uh, in the one one three we trapped the heck out of a short corner, which is a common tactic for teams to try to get the ball. You know, um, for those roll downs, we would trap that like crazy. Uh, you know, a la uh, Jim Bayheim at Syracuse. If you throw the ball to the short corner against Syracuse, they're going to trap the heck out of it. Uh, with the one two two. It was, it's, it's actually a harder slide to trap sometimes the short corner than it is versus a 2-3 uh, because in a 2-3, predominantly you have three guys per, uh, patrolling the baseline, whereas in a 1-2-2, two, two, you've only got two. So trapping the corner in a 1-2-2, two, two, I think, is a necessary – I think it's it's crucial – because most teams are going to combat a one-two-two with an offense where they have three guys on the baseline and a two-guard front to put people in, in gaps, or you know the old uh, zone offense adage, uh, put us where they ain't. And um, so they're going to they're going to attack the heck out of the short or the, the uh, deep corners in a one-two-two. And when kids are, are taught. Uh, how to trap that properly, it can be a real problem for the offense. Well, I think, you you know, if you have certain spots on the court with any type of defense and then you have the other team thinking, oh, we actually can't go to this spot because they're going to heat us up, just that mm -hmm. extra second of second-guessing themselves, it's a whole other subtlety of the game that is now to your advantage, and and, and that's a big one. The You mentioned hey, a little I, bit. Uh... You take away, you know, the, the baseline, the deep corners from a one-two-two zone offense attack, and you've just taken away America's way of uh, playing offense yeah. against that uh, defense. So it it definitely adds a, a a lot more things the other team now has to prepare for. Mm -hmm. Well, I just glad you mentioned that because I think that coaches that are thinking, okay, how do we reverse engineer? How do we attack three-two zone defense? We we get the ball to the corners. We shoot corner threes, and you're saying, please get the ball to the corner because we're going to come right. and, and heat you up. And so I, I love that adaptability. In our email back uh, and forth, you talked about some of the pros and cons if somebody's thinking about mm -hmm. running this this defense. Why don't you share some of those? Well, the pros, I think, are uh, – it's a very – it's advantageous uh, keeping the ball out of the lane. I, I think it's easier to guard the three-point line to a certain degree um when a three two zone but the more you widen out your wings your, your your two top wings the more you're bringing in uh the 
chance of two defensive players having to be on the basketball. And, and I don't care if it's man-to-man zone, whatever, that's never a good thing. If you can limit how many times you help, you have two people on the ball, that's going to be advantageous to the defense, especially when it comes to rebounding, because you don't have to uh, scramble so much to find bodies. Um, I think the 3-2, another big part of it that, that makes it so neat is – uh, you know, one of the guy, one of the good coaches I, I played against in high school had a towel system, and they were primarily a three-two zone team. <clears throat> and if he held up a green towel, that meant they were going to pack it in and make it real hard for us to um, score inside. If he held up um, a blue towel, then that meant you know they were going to come and get us. So um, I really liked how. Out of a one-two-two, you can have your top three guys just go match up and just re- uh, create all, all kind of chaos. You know, like we played back in the 1980s. Uh, if you were guarding the wing, you had your back to the to the ball, and according to how athletic you were, you know, heck, some guys had their back hand in the passing lane. That's how far up the lane they were, uh, because the game back then was played east and west you know uh don't let people reverse the ball because everybody wanted to be like bob knight or gene katie and roy williams and and it was all motion offense and now the game's played north and south where almost everything is uh off the bounce so i love the fact that you can go get somebody for one possession and really wreak havoc on make them cough it up and then come back the next time and sit a little tighter have the wings uh, in a little tighter lane, have their uh, tailbones facing the baseline and um, take away all penetration. You know, the other thing about 3-2 that's great is out of timeouts. You can come out in a 3-2 zone and as soon as the ball crosses the volleyball line, you can have your kids shift into anything. So they might have just spent, you know, their, their, their 60 second timeout talking about uh, a lob play they're going to run versus this three two where they're going to screen the the, the two uh, post players and then you come out and switch into a two three and uh, they try to run it and the ball's easily stolen so I, I think it's so versatile and you can do so many things out of it um, as far as cons the, just that simple roll down move in a, in a in a flat one two two or three two is something that has to be practiced a lot. So the ball goes to the short corner, deep corner, and they send that player at the high post just storming down to the rim. And uh, that's easiest combated by having your point guard cover the strong side corner. But not everybody has a a point. When I say point guard, I'm not talking about the offensive point guard. Talking about the point of the zone. Um, but if you don't have that, that, that's something you're going to practice a lot. You know, another big, I, a, a huge pro is transition defense. Kids feel really comfortable transitioning back into a three, two, um, you know, the, the old adage was build a wall around the lane. Don't let the ball in the lane, build a wall around the lane. And, you know, in transition, they, they sprint back and it almost looks like the, the defense is in a small circle and then they kind of expand out. But uh, I, I think the three, two zone is advantageous to tremendous court balance in transition defense. And with so many teams 
using the ball screen, right? I mean, it, it's it it's got to be easier for for kids to be able to communicate, read, and defend that ball screen, right? I'll tell you, uh, we kind of got to the point where we said, okay, if you want a ball screen, us, we're just going to trap the daylights out of all of them. Because in a 3-2 zone, your guys are already in support position just by naturally being in a ball-oriented zone defense. So, you know, you go out and trap those suckers every single ball screen and force that ball closer to the timeline. Uh, that's, again, that's, that's one more thing we've taken away from them out of um, a very small you know, everything is relative, but there's only so many things you can do against zone when there's, I, I think what the last count was 87 different things you can do against man-to-man, I believe was the last number that one of the basketball geniuses came up with. Yeah, I, I still, I think there's still the number of things people doing in zone is still in the forties. So, you know, you take in the ball screen now is, is everybody's go-to it's either a ball screen or spread, spread out as far as you can and just put, put your head down and drive the thing. But yeah, you, you trap that stuff. You trap those ball screens of a three, two. And uh, that that's good stuff. I, I think that's good coaching. Well, one of the things that I love is again, we're flipping. I think some of the old philosophies of playing zone defense on its head, because mm-hmm. you, you know, with teams playing deep and wide, looking for the corner threes, you say zone, boy, we, we, we can't play zone because of that. We're, we're attacking that out of a three, two zone. So many teams trying to use the dribble drive, and in this case, a, a ball screen type offense. You know, the the European ball screen game is extremely popular. To be able to not just be able to switch that, which is an easy switch when you have three up top, but to heat it up and go trap it and then rotate out of it, you're flipping a lot of the the old school zone generalities of you know this is safe, protect, keep them in front. You're going out to get them out of a lot of things that are very popular on the offensive side of the game, which is really a, a a cool thing for anybody that's thinking about running this type of defense. Now, with every type of defense, you mentioned a little bit of, of coach you're playing had different cover towels for variations. What are some of the different variations that you've used running this defense? If we were playing, uh, you know, this is going back to the 90s, we played a team, uh, this is when I was coaching in Indiana, who had two kids going to the Big 12 on the same team. In, in, uh, it's a pretty good team. <laughs> yeah, yeah a, a point guard who uh, went to, the went to uh, I think he ended up going to Valpo. But they were loaded. Um, so, you know, we said, okay, if they make 11 three-point shots, you know, it's 33 points. If we go out and guard these guys and open driving lanes up, they're not just going to uh, get to the basket whenever they want. They're going to challenge our cover downs on the weak side. So we went to a straight flat 3-2 and just kept uh, everybody in front of us and worked like heck to rebound and made it a great game. Um, they got us at the end. But uh, it was anybody's ball game. And then, you know, that's back when we played Friday and Saturday nights. Then the next night, we played a team. Uh, it was kind of neat how our schedule worked out that year. The next night, we played a team who was huge again. And we, we upset them playing the same defense. Um, we've had years uh, where we sent our point guard out to just go get the ball as soon as across the timeline and forced it left. 
and um we had the, the the forward on the strong side just get out and deny 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 i mean deny like mad don't let him catch the ball um and then uh we we did the same thing where we would let the point guard kind of leave him alone and sink the point of the zone back but still go out and deny like mad so we're not letting the point guard have any any room to drive because we're you know we're two arms length in front of him with our back to the baseline but yet these two wings are out uh denying like crazy so i like that i also liked how we could go um transition from the three two or the one two two to a triangle and two or um a box and one so in a box and one scenario, our point of the zone would always be the chaser, which was just a natural thing. You know, let the ball get past to the wing and uh, find that guy we're going to chase. And if the ball went to him, he'd just bump the whoever caught it off, just bump him down, you know. And uh, triangle and two is similar to that. Uh, I liked how we could take our two wings and match them up with two great guards and say, just go get them you know, go get them. Don't, don't give them any room to breathe, but then have the other three guys in a flat triangle, you know, at the nail hole and two blocks switching everything and just playing really gooey and soft and keeping everything away from the, the, uh, the lane area. And then, you know, the, the point guards out there, especially if he's a point guard who doesn't shoot it very well, you know, you're putting him in a terrible position because he can't throw the ball to his best players. And then, you know, we're full fronting the the strong side post and then the weak side post is right there at help side. So um, now is that something you can play six straight defensive stands? No, it's not. Cause eventually they're going to back screen the, the cover down, but it's, it sure is something that you can do a couple of times to take a, a player who just hits uh, two straight three point shots at a rhythm. So all those things just seemed a lot easier for kids to learn out of that alignment. You're talking about your base and your rotations. You talked about playing tight when you need to, extending, trapping. Talking about how you just you you visualize the three-two zone as you're listening to this podcast and, and look at how easily that goes into the boxing one or a triangle two. I mean, that's that's gold on a, on a random possession to throw throw a team out of it. You make your call, all of a sudden they think you're in your three, two. No, you're actually in a box and one chasing around, you know, their point guard, their best player, whatever that might be. Easy and effective change ups out of that defense. Uh, I absolutely love, love that as well. Are there anything else that you you want to add for a coach who's listening and they're saying, man, I, I really like the variability and the options of this defense that you'd want to let them know? Yeah, any zone defense um, that a coach is going to spend a lot of time on, uh, so his kids are good at it. What I mean by that, your slides are, are well-timed. Um, they're closed out angles, all of those things that, that, you know, the civilians, John Q. Public doesn't understand, but the coaches sure the heck do. Everybody works on those things. But the one thing that I never bought into in regards to zone was people will say it's there, there's not an easy way to rebound out of it. Um, I think there's a system for doing. I, I don't think I know. Um, you can you kids kids will pick up 
how to rebound out of zone if the coach knows how to teach it. And that, I think, is the great separator between one zone and another zone, is how well a team rebounds out of it. So do you have certain spots within the 3-2 zone that you want your guys to get to to rebound, or is it more of making sure you're checking your locations from a personnel standpoint? So how do you break that down? Right. We broke it down. It's a ball-oriented zone. So where the shot is taken from, corner, point, wing, wing, corner, you know, you got five general spots where the shot can be taken from. And then, you know, if you trap the heck out of the corners, you've just taken two more, you've taken two of those away. So primarily you've got wing, wing, top. And then you've also got um, what we'd call driving actions. If someone does get by and gets in the lane and pulls up and shoots it. So if the ball's shot from the wing, the first thing we look at in scouting is, does the player who shot the ball go back and transition or does he crash the boards? Well, that's a huge one there. The point of the zone has to get to the weak side. He's got to get to the weak side block. And the neat thing about the one, two, two is there's a lot of times where your point guard will sit on the top hip of a good post player. And you're actually double teaming on two blockouts on, on one player. Strong side post is always going to have the strong side post to block out the weak side wing has got to get to the middle of the volleyball line on the volleyball line on a a high school court. And he actually cuts in to that area with his chest looking or his chest facing the half court line because his first contact isn't going to be with his rear end or his back. It's going to be with his chest, with his arms crossed in front of his chest because more often than not, the person coming in there is going to have so much more momentum than he was able to gather that if he tries to get him with his back, the guy's going to maneuver right around him. Whereas the other way around, he can move laterally now. And it's kind of like watching the middle linebacker in football for the other teams um, using a lot of options. So you've got your biggest kids in. You've got a good chance of getting two players on the person who's most likely to get the rebound, which is the weak side post. And you've got the middle of the lane covered. And if the shooter did uh, get back after he shot up, then you've got a numerical advantage coming in. And that player is going to flow into um, the strong side area. And you're actually going to have like a mini wall. It kind of looks like the charge line on a uh, NCAA court. So, and then if the ball shot from the other wing, it's the exact same slides, but just reversed. The shot from the top is the easiest because primarily everybody's on home base. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So again, the point guard shoots, does he get back or does he crash? And um, if he gets back, well, now your point guard's going to get the rebound more often Mm -hmm. than not, or the point of the zone. And, uh, Any uh, drive and kick or drive and uh, jump shot scenarios where the ball's entered into the lane via the dribble, it's all going to be about who gets the weak side block because we never let our strong side post ever help stop the ball. 
If you do that, it's a guaranteed lay-in. They're just going to dish it off to that kid. And he's either going to lay it up or break the backboard on a dunk. <laughs> um, the weak side post has got to come over and help stop that, which means that the weak side forward has to sprint down and sit on top of that block. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wants to have inside hand under the rim, outside hand, outside of the lane, where he knows somebody's going to come to that area for rebounding or mm-hmm. to slide in to try to uh, get a dump down pass. And so we said, if you can beat him to the spot, you're going to get a steal mm-hmm. or the rebound. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As we finish out the podcast, Coach, what's a, what are some general pickup points? If, you know, let's say you're not necessarily, you know, pressing so much, but if you're running your base defense, where do you like that point guard to to pick up? You know, how high do you lift your wings if a team is you know, trying to walk it down and and I wouldn't even call it transition, but just conversion from one side to the other. We had a we we had his spine facing um, the right sideline because we wanted to force him to the left. So his bottom foot would be um, one step inside the top of the key. And his top foot would be one step outside of the top of the key. And his arms are extended out. That's another fallacy in zone defense. Everybody wants people's hands up. But you want your hands up when you close out on a shooter. But if your hands are out, extended out um, like the Christ on the cross, for the best uh, example I can give you, uh, that's where the passing lanes are. You're going to be more disruptive with your arms. We call it down and out versus straight up in the air. Um, So our forwards, our point, all have their arms out, extended. Posts are up the line, on the line with their man. So if it's a double post and they have a post on each block, we wanted our posts, like just like they'd be playing man-to-man, up the line, on the line to discourage any pass to them directly from the point. Because a great point guard, I don't care if it's against a 2-3 a, a, a or a 1-3-1 one, one or a 1-2-2, two, two, if he gets six inches and he can blister a no-look pass to one of those guys, that's a layup. Uh, so we we wanted that completely taken away. We wanted them up the line, on the line. And their, hand, their lead hand is up. And their weak hand is slammed into that person's rib cage. Um, now when the ball went to the wing, then we split underneath. So we were playing baseline side defense on them. But once the ball's on the wing, your point guards inside hand is in what's called the ball line. If you drew a line from the ball to the uh, post player. So now you've got the point guards hand in that ball line and you've got the person guarding the post completely shading the baseline side away. And hell, there were some times we wanted the ball to go in there because through scouting, we could tell if the ball goes on to, the, to a, a post player and this guy wasn't particularly strong, then we could just choke him to, you know, we call it choking the post, choke, get down there, choke him out, force a jump ball, rip it out of his hands. But uh, um, I love the fact where if the ball's in the wing or the ball's in the corner, you've got multiple hands in that ball line. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so last question before we finish this out what is what was the hardest thing you talked about how easy it is for kids to grasp the three two zone mm-hmm. 
out of all those things, what was the hardest thing for the kids to really get down? The, the hardest thing when you're teaching a kid any zone is getting them to have to listen to their parents or whoever telling them that zones for bad athletes or zone is strictly for so, slow players or lazy players, which isn't true. That was the hardest thing to get, uh, get past this. Once you did get past and the kids have bought in, the hardest thing is if the kids, and this isn't so much different than man to man, but if a kid, one kid is late on a slide where his hands are down, you're talking about a layup. You're so the, the kids have to buy into focusing on um, the slides and beating the ball to positions and, and teaching them how to rebound out of it is not easy, but it is a system and it can be done. Um, and, you know, it's like a pressing team. This is another analogy I used to tell people. Um, when, when a team presses real hard and that's their MO, sometimes the JV team in a scrimmage just kicks the crap out of them because they're used to being pressed all the time. And it's the same thing when you're playing against your second five. Sometimes they pick up on a couple things and uh, attack the zone, which is good because that gives you something now to work on the next day, whatever. But um, it's, it's like anything else when you're, I don't care if you're dealing with adults in the business world or, uh, or kids in a, on a sport team, it always boils down to three things. You've got to put the kids in a situation to be confident in it with specific teaching and teach the, the nuts and bolts of it. And you have to be patient during the learning process. Once the kids get it where they need to be, now you can start being demanding. And now here come your uh, expectations and what we want to get out of this. And then the third thing is once you've spent all this time on it, it's no different than a company teaching their salesman, this is the uh, schematic we're going to use to sell cars, whatever it is. The third thing is once the kids have, you've spent all this time, all these resources to get the kids to learn these things, now you got to stick with it. This is where the adjustments come in and everything. But if you, you know, it's, it's like a lot of the high school teams who try to teach their kids Princeton offense and they go into their first scrimmage and they just get the, they get railed. They get beat badly. Well, the next day coach comes in. Well, guys, um, that didn't work out. So we're going to go back to flex. And the kids are like, Oh, thank God. Cause I don't have to think very much in the flex, but it's the same thing in zone. Uh, if you get tattooed in it, and you tell the kids the next day we're going to change everything. Now the kids think that all every time we're we're not good at something we're going to change, and that leads to uh, nothing good. So I think stick to itiveness with with zone is very important. And uh, you know when I took the Delta job, which was arguably um, one of the worst programs in Northwest Ohio, uh, our first year we beat uh, our rival. And the next day, I wasn't getting any questions about why we were playing zone. Because if we would have tried to play a man-to-man, -man, they would have scalped us. So, uh, like anything else in life, if you're going to teach it, you got to believe in it. And, you, and you've, you've got to let the kids see how steadfast you are in it. And if you do get beat or things don't go well one night, 
you've got to come in the next day, ready to teach your tail off and make mm -hmm. adjustments. And that's just my two cents. Well, those, some, those are some awesome nuggets to close it down. And, and it's very fitting for zone being the topic because I, I feel like coaches give up on the zone so much more than they give up on the man, right? You're playing a zone defense. You give up a three. Oh man, we can't, can't go zone anymore. Right. But it, when you're playing man, somebody gets a three, you're like, Hey, we're playing man. We got out there. It's like, no, you, what do you believe in? Right. Being able to be patient, like you said, stick with it and then continue to improve and teach set those uh, standards and expectation for, for your kids. Um, you know, I think at this point in the, the years we're in the preseason uh, it's easy as coaches to have in our mind, the team that finished the previous season. And you expect that to be the team that's going to show up for the first day of practice and be like, no, that was, that was four or five months of, you right. know, going five, six days a week that they got to what that team looks like at the end. This is a, this is a marathon, not a sprint. So being able to stick to your beliefs is huge. Coach, this has been awesome. Tell us a little bit uh, about what you have going on and where our, our listeners can connect with you. Yeah, we're starting, um, uh, some of my buddies who, who I used to coach with, uh, my old assistants and I are starting, um, we're going to start off with a website. It's going to be called uh, Rust Belt Basketball Coaches Network. And we're going to have um, some blocker mover stuff up on there. Uh, Lance Fritz, who uh, is coaching in Wisconsin now, is uh, a dribble drive. Really, really good at teaching that. So he's going to take that aspect of it. Uh, we're going to have a Princeton guy um, in there with us. A lot of zone defense stuff. Um, and we've already started a newsletter. So if anybody would like to get our newsletter, we think it's pretty darn good. Uh, they can just send an email to me at D-E-R-E-K dot S-H-E-R-I-D-A-N four four at gmail.com and we'll put you on our list. It's free. Um, no ads, nothing like that. It's, uh, it's named in Ted's honor. We lost, uh, one of our dear, dear friends and, and colleagues, uh, Ted Anderson, who was a, a high school basketball coach in the state of Kansas and, uh, Ted, there's, there's not many people who coach high school basketball for a long time and did not know Ted. Ted was one of the, if not the finest ambassador for high school basketball of anybody I ever met and uh, his enthusiasm for the game and uh, his passion for working with young people rubbed off on hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people from coast to coast. And, and uh, like I said, we lost him prematurely, just didn't wake up one evening or one morning, I mean to say. So our, our newsletter is named in Ted's honor and uh, I don't care if you're talking to Dave Boyce or you're talking to Jim Ruckey or Chad Burt, you know, you bring up Ted Anderson's name and, and you're going to get a smile real quick uh, because of all the, the joy that Ted brought to coaching basketball to all of us. And no one, no one made basketball coaches feel more important you know you're around ted anderson for two hours at a clinic and you leave and you think that you're pretty good you know he just he had that way of just a special person um uh 
you know, the, the running line is we, we all pick up our phone. I can't wait to take or tell Ted this. And then we it hits us and he's gone, but, uh, just a unique person, uh, very unique, you know, Ted, Ted was one of the rare coaches who didn't have people he didn't like. He liked everybody. He, he was just a, and he was in, he was a hell of a coach. That was the thing. I, I mean, uh, Hall of Fame, uh, most of those guys, when they have that much success, get a little fickle, a little jaded a little bit. And not, you know, Ted was just, if Ted was sitting next to a sixth grade basketball coach in a youth tournament, he would want to know every single thing that kid knew and taught and how he ran his practices. And he would never tell that kid that he'd already won 580 games, you know, than who he was. And that was, that was one of the beautiful things about Ted. Um, and, you know, the, when he, when he passed away, the cool, I mean, it's just a test, a testament to Ted, the kids who had him in class felt just as bad at losing him as, as if they played for him because he was such a good teacher. And, you know, the, the, those guys are a dying breed. You know, uh, Ted got to school an hour and a half, two hours before school started, and he was going to make that day great for his students, have a great practice. And, uh, you know, the year he he passed away, they couldn't find anybody that, that he wanted coaching his eighth grade team. So, hell, he coached them. So he was coaching the varsity team and the eighth grade team and coach or teaching three different preps <laughs> during the school. Day. So, uh, you know, those guys are special. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, I'm sure he'd be, he'd be proud of everything that, that you're doing, the kind words, and obviously the newsletter that you have going on as well and continue to teach, share, learn the game that you're very passionate about. And uh, so I'll put coach uh, Sheridan, his links in the description of the podcast below coach. Thanks for taking your time to our listeners. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the coach's edge podcast and whatever you're doing today, get after it.